I have to tell you all, on Friday morning, I had too much coffee, and I wrote two sermons. The first one had a story of reconciling between co-workers. Hypothetically, a co-worker would microwave fish in a communal kitchen just before another co-worker was going to lead Bible study. So that didn't make it into the, so this, the, the second sermon that I wrote, so you'll have to hear that story another day. <laughs> In January of 2019, I boarded an airplane and I headed to South Dakota to the Pine Ridge Reservation for an intercultural immersion. The Pine Ridge Reservation is home to nearly 20,000 Ogallala Lakota residents. We landed and we were greeted by snow in a borrowed church van and we were whisked away to the grocery store, to several grocery stores, a Sam's Club and a Walmart to gather supplies for ourselves and the Reconciliation Center as an ongoing government shutdown had put the stop to government-backed food distribution on the reservation. Food distribution, which the United States government agreed to do after the Ogallala Lakota people were forced to live on this reservation. But that too is a sermon for another day. Over the course of two weeks, I learned how the policies and practices of the United States government, our tax dollars, read, led to widespread poverty and hopelessness. Drug and alcohol addiction is, was, is rampant. Government-backed food distribution does little to provide the daily nutritional needs for families, jobs. Those are few and far between. And those that do, those that can find work, typically can't make ends meet. If you've ever wondered what white supremacy, systematic racism, and genocide look like, if you've ever wanted to see what happens when the system is rigged against you from the very beginning because of the color of your skin, underfunded schools, a lack of medical care, and inadequate food supply, all of which are obligations of the United States government because of the Treaty of Fort Laramie signed in 1868. If you've ever wanted to see what that looks like, hop on a Delta plane and head to Pine Ridge, South Dakota. One of the conversations we had during my two-week trip there was in the basement, a cold basement of the Reconciliation Center, and we discussed media and entertainment's role in how white people and those living outside of the reservation system view indigenous communities. This might come as a shocker to many of you, but Hollywood has not accurately or kindly depicted indigenous communities in North America. Caricatures of non-white communities are common throughout Western cinema. And this conversation is where my time at the Reconciliation Center became personal. You see, I remember as a child, a young child, when I wasn't seven feet tall, watching Westerns with my grandfathers. My grandmothers would go to sleep. I would sit on one of my grandfather's lap with a bowl of ice cream bigger than my mom would ever allow me, and we would watch Western movies and television shows. Shows like McClinic, Bonanza, Dances with Wolves, Caw Hill, Big Jake, True Grit, and more. I still look back on those memories, those bowls of ice cream, with fondness. Reconciling our memories and experiences with the experience of others, 
especially those who are on the receiving end of racism, bigotry, and hatred, is a painful yet necessary experience. Reconciling the memories of my past with the reality of what was staring me in the face, poverty beyond imagination, broken promises, and despair. St. Paul has a thing or two to say about reconciliation. To the church in Corinth that was divided, he wrote, So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us in Corinth and in Arlington 2,000 years later. God has been and continues to reconcile us to God and one another. And I know this sounds backwards from the ways of the world, but ever since sin slammed into the world, ever since humanity decided that we knew better and we turned away from God, God has been seeking us out in body, in sacrament, and word, all for the purposes of reconciling us to God. And it sounds backwards because we are told and we tell ourselves that we can reconcile ourselves to one another. We think that we can get ourselves back to the good old days when things were great, back when leave it to beaver was the norm in every household, right? But was there ever such a time? If you lived the leave it to beaver life, who do you know that could not because a system had been rigged against them from the very beginning? Jamar Tisby is an author and he is our guide through Lent. We're using his book, How to Fight Racism, as our guide for worship and for small groups throughout the church. And there's still time for you to join one of those groups. And Jamar invites us to consider how our relationships, how fractured our relationships are with God and one another. He writes, Reconciliation does not mean returning to a bygone historical era of harmony, but rather revising our relationships to more closely match God's functional pattern for human interactions. This past Wednesday at our Wednesday night Bible study, we discussed our racial identities, the things that make us who we are and how we experience race in the world. And while each of us is stamped with the image of God, our experiences with race stamp us with another identity. And that identity influences how we interact with those whose skin pigmentation is darker or lighter than ours. Murray Bowen, an American psychiatrist and professor of psychiatry at Georgetown University, suggests that even the experiences of generations before us influence how we engage the world today, especially the way we engage in relationships. So on Wednesday night, as we shared stories in a room and over Zoom, stories of mothers telling us not to repeat certain words that our grandfathers used very freely, stories of learning about segregation in our hometowns, 
and how our friends were assumed to be someone they were not for no other reason than the color of their skin. You could feel the tension growing, and the group began to become very uncomfortable. How can we reconcile our past, holding on to memories of people, events, places, and experiences that have shaped us into who we are today? We can look back on past episodes in our lives, seeing Leave It to Beaver moments, yet when we broaden our view, we will find that others did not and do not have the same experiences and that our positive experience may have come at the expense of someone else. And that leaves us with the question of what are we to do? What's the church to do? Knowing that if we widen our view just a bit, moving beyond our idealistic histories that each of us carry, we may not be comfortable with what we find. In January of 2019, as I sat in the basement of the Reconciliation Center, having this conversation about media and entertainment, and then remembering back to my grandfathers, I began to feel nauseous. I was having a physical reaction to the emotions that were running through my body. And I finally, I looked at my cohort, fellow students and leaders, and I blurted out, so what am I supposed to do with all of this? Yes, my family's a racist, I'm racist, we're all racists, but what am I supposed to do with all of these memories? What am I supposed to do with these things I did with my grandfather that I still look back on and hold dear? What are any of us supposed to do with this? Apparently, that made the room uncomfortable. And the room got quiet. And you know how we all feel about silence. And after a few moments, one of the cultural guides, his name is Kelly, who had been working with us all week, he took us to Wounded Knee earlier in the day. He asked, what does your faith tell you to do? As we move into the work of reconciliation, we in the church have the advantage of not having to figure this out on our own. Our faith tells us that since the beginning of creation, even before God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, God has been drawing creation towards God's self. That is to say that since the beginning, God has been moving closer and closer towards creation, even as creation draws away from God. While our disobedience separates us from God, Jamar Tisby writes, God is not an abstract force, but a personal and loving creator who desires a relationship with the children created in God's very image. So we return to the words of St. Paul. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Because all of us have been created in Christ's image, because the grace of God is provenient, meaning that it goes before us, a love that is ours whether we want it or know it, because through the cross and the empty grave, all of creation has been redeemed. And because God has promised to never forsake or abandon creation, this new creation that St. Paul writes about exists in all of us. 
every single person on this planet, whether they like it or not, whether they know it or not, are in Jesus Christ. It has been that way since we were formed in the image of God, and it remains that way until we finish the race set before us and we find rest in Christ. Everything old has passed away, you see. Everything has become new. The difficulties we carry from our past, the things that we wish we had not said, even if it was okay to say it way back then, the doors that we've locked at traffic lights, the streets that we've crossed to avoid walking past someone, or the people that we've misidentified because of nothing more than the color of their skin. All of that has been taken to the cross with Christ and is buried. The result of this is God's reconciling creation to God so that we, the church, all of us, individually and as a collective body, can become instruments of God's reconciling work. St. Paul tells us we have been entrusted with this message of reconciliation, a message that begins with love and a message that is full of hope. Our difficult conversation this past Wednesday evening, along with all of the difficult conversations we need to have to confront white supremacy and systematic racism, are part of us placing our trust in God to be the ultimate reconciler. Tisby reminds us, when God wanted to reconcile people to God's self and to each other, God didn't send a tweet or a TikTok video. God sent Christ. Jesus himself is the paradigm for our reconciliation efforts. God taking on human flesh and entering the mess of the world theologian and author of The Cross and the Lynching Tree, James Cone, wrote, Hate and white supremacy lead to violence and alienation, while love and the cross lead to nonviolence and reconciliation. We cannot carry the message of God's reconciling work apart from God. This is why the season of Lent, the season of penitence, Repentance, fasting, and prayer is rooted in spiritual disciplines that are bigger and more cosmic disrupting than in abstaining from eating chocolate or taking a break from social media. So this brings us back to our original question, what are we to do? Trust in the promises of God. Trust that we have not been left alone to figure this out. Trust that through self-examination and repentance, Prayer, fasting, and self-denial, in reading and meditating on God's holy word, God is reconciling us, and God has reconciled us to God. But most importantly, God is reconciling us to one another, to those that we hold dear in our memories, even if there's a bit of cloudiness there, those we have unknowingly harmed, those we've knowingly harmed, and those who continue to live with their backs against the wall. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.